Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, September 3rd, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Samsung is going to take another crack at foldable phones, this time with a different design. Sleep tracking is coming to the Apple Watch. Firefox 69 locks down basically everything. And a deep dive into the whole Ring, Doorbell, and Neighborhood app controversy. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. All right, so clearly it's turned out that 2019 was not the year of the foldable phone that it promised to be, even eight months ago. But apparently, the dream of a foldable phone will never die. Sources are telling Sohee Kim at Bloomberg that next year, Samsung plans to unveil a 6.7-inch phone, which will be able to shrink to a pocketable square when folded inward like a clamshell. The phone is being developed with designer Tom Brown to give it more luxury appeal. Quote, the new foldable phone will have a hole-punch selfie camera at the top of the inner display, just as on the recently released Samsung Galaxy Note 10, according to one person familiar with the device. On the outside, it will have two cameras that face the rear when the phone is open or the front when it's flipped closed. I'm intrigued to see if a manufacturer can deliver a clamshell design that takes the current smartphone footprint and lets you fold it in half like a wallet in a similar manner to mobile phones of yesterday, such as the iconic Motorola Razr said Ben Wood, an analyst with CCS Insight. That's what the world is probably waiting for, end quote. Well, see, we kind of don't know that yet, if the world is really waiting for the return of the clamshell, because foldable phones themselves haven't made it to market in enough volume yet to see if the very concept of folding is something people even want full stop. Even if it ever does sell well, the Galaxy Fold has been an unmitigated disaster, as the first introduction of this technology. Might have even killed any ardor for the technology, but maybe lessons have been learned. Quoting Bloomberg again, One key advantage that next year's 6.7-inch foldable will have over the fold is that its shape, when open, will be basically that of a smartphone. So it will run Android phone apps in their native state. The Galaxy Fold opens into a squarer aspect ratio and a larger screen, so it demands that apps be customized or adapted to best make use of its full dimensions. Samsung is testing the use of ultra-thin glass for the inner display of its next foldable, which would measure in at only 3% the thickness of the glass conventionally used to protect smartphone displays. At the same time, the company will want to ensure the durability of its foldable devices and avoid any repeat of the Galaxy Fold debacle." End quote. This is sort of something you knew was coming. You might recall that Apple acquired Bedit, the manufacturer of the Bedit Sleep Monitor product. But it's a scoop nonetheless from Guillermo Rambo. According to sources, the Apple Watch is going to get sleep tracking and sleep monitoring features. The new features apparently won't even require any extra hardware to work. And, quote, the new feature could be announced as early as next week when the company is expected to announce the next-generation iPhones and possibly a revised Apple Watch with titanium and ceramic options. 
The new feature, codenamed Burrito internally and called Time in Bed Tracking, will allow users to choose to wear Apple Watch to bed. If the user has more than one Apple Watch, they can pick one to be their designated bedtime watch. While asleep, the Apple Watch will track the user's quality of sleep using its multiple sensors and inputs, including the person's movement, heart rate, and noises. Data about the user's quality of sleep will be made available to the health app and a new sleep app for the Apple Watch. One of the issues with wearing an Apple Watch during sleep is that many users choose to charge their Apple Watch at night. Apple thought about this and developed a feature that will remind users to charge their watch beforehand so they can get through the night, end quote. That sort of sounds like a Tesla-style smart charging system. And yeah, I know, I heard that part about having multiple Apple Watches too, but before you roll your eyes, you Apple haters, I do have to say the quick charging ability of the watch has greatly improved in recent generations. If I forget to charge my watch overnight, a quick 20 minutes on the charger while I shower and dress is usually more than enough to top up for a day of use. And I also do like this bit. If you do wear the watch overnight, if you wake up and start your day before the alarm is scheduled to go off, it will automatically turn off the alarm. Also, something that I use, alarms only on the watch, with the phone only as an alarm backup. No word on if this will be a whole new model of the Apple Watch, or if these features will just be a software update sort of thing, but earlier in the piece, these sources suggested that, again, there would be no new hardware required to make this happen. Firefox 69 has arrived along with the promise features for the web browser that will block third-party tracking cookies, identity fingerprinting, and crypto mining, all by default. Quoting VentureBeat, Enhanced tracking protection shows up as a shield icon in the address bar. Click on it, open the content blocking section, and then hit cookies. The blocking tracking cookies section shows the company's Firefox has blocked and lets you turn off blocking for a specific site. The feature focuses on third-party trackers, the ad industry, while allowing first-party cookies, logins, where you last left off, and so on. As a part of its crackdown, Mozilla also wanted to tackle crypto mining, which uses your CPU to generate cryptocurrency for someone else, and fingerprinting, which builds a digital fingerprint that tracks you across the web. The company started to test blocking crypto mining and fingerprinting in April, Then the options to block each one arrived with Firefox 67 in May. Firefox users can access these options by either clicking on the small eye icon in the address bar and clicking on the gear on the right side under content blocking or by going to preferences, privacy, and security, and then content blocking. From there, select custom and check crypto miners and or fingerprinters. Both were off by default. With Firefox 69, crypto mining is now blocked by default as part of the standard setting. Firefox 69 also blocks fingerprinting as a part of the strict setting, and Mozilla plans to turn it on by default in a later release, end quote. So good news, but Mac users, you've been complaining for a while now that Firefox has been a power hog, straining resources and draining batteries. Well, potential good news there, too, assuming you can wait until Firefox 70, quoting ZDNet. According to Mozilla engineer Henrik Skupin, Firefox devs have finally made a breakthrough and believe they fixed Firefox's power consumption on macOS. Scoopin said that 
A current fix for the battery drain issue has been deployed on Firefox Nightly, where it managed to reduce power usage by three times. According to Firefox statistics, nearly 7% of Firefox's 100 million monthly active users are running a macOS version. Not all may be running on MacBooks, but those who are will most likely be interested in giving Firefox another go in the coming months, knowing the browser won't eat away at their battery at a much faster pace than Chrome or Safari, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. OnePassword's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at OnePassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at OnePassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to OnePassword.com slash ride. We've mentioned it a couple of times, but Amazon's Ring video doorbell product is controversial. Civil libertarians are concerned about Ring's tight partnership with local law enforcement. Security watchdogs caught Ring storing video data unencrypted. And I'm not the only one that finds Ring's marketing practices gross. In short, they buy geographically targeted posts on social media using imagery from nearby rings to drum up concerns about crime in your neighborhood. Basically, Ring seems to be dealing in fear and paranoia with the Ring doorbell as the obvious solution. Call it paranoia as a service. So what is the fine-grained truth about what is going on with Ring? Well, the Wirecutter has a review up about the accompanying Neighbors app. 
Ring's neighborhood watch feature that serves as kind of a shorthand for assessing the pluses and minuses of Ring and Neighbors. In short, according to Wirecutter, using Neighbors is great if you're concerned about crime in your locality, but what maybe you should be worried about more is Neighbors' privacy policy. Their headline is literally, Ring Neighbors is the best and worst neighborhood watch app. In short, Neighbors is an app that alerts you to crime in a radius of five miles around your home once you have Ring installed. You can use Neighbors with the Ring doorbells, cameras, alarm system, even smart lights. Posts that you make to the Neighbors app remain anonymous, and the idea is only to post about crimes, safety, suspicious activity, lost pets, that sort of thing. But, quoting from Wirecutter, even though Ring claims that Neighbors is an opt-in program, In reality, you automatically enroll when you use the Ring app, and you have to use the app to install or use a Ring device such as a doorbell camera, a security system, or even a pathway light. And although you could simply refrain from posting to neighbors and turn off all of its notifications, you still have no way to completely separate yourself from it. You can't delete it from the app or hide the icon on the app's homepage. Another concern is that Amazon is a private company leveraging the influence of municipal authorities to market its products. As several outlets have reported, Amazon has supplied a number of police departments around the country with free ring cameras with the intent that police would distribute them to local residents and presumably with the hope that those residents would buy more ring devices or that their neighbors would. While some police departments have opted not to partake in this scheme, Others have hosted Ring giveaways, some of which mandate downloading the Neighbors app in order to participate, end quote. Wirecutter does say that no one, not Ring, or any police department is allowed to access your Ring videos or personal information unless you choose to share them. The police, however, can request your identity and videos via the Neighbors app, which identifies the request as coming from law enforcement. So Wirecutter is attempting to tamp down on some of the more out there rumors that police can just access your ring feed at any time. They apparently still cannot without a warrant. But the review does conclude this way, quote, Although Ring currently doesn't offer facial recognition technology, there's been buzz indicating that it's in the works, and it's clearly mentioned in the Ring privacy policy. And Amazon filed a patent noting that this tech could serve, quote, to determine whether the video contains a known criminal, convicted felon, sex offender, person on the most wanted list, etc., or a suspicious person, end quote, and that the information could go directly to police. Notably, some Nest cameras already offer facial recognition, end quote. So, you know, you've got a choice to make. Is helping to build the Panopticon worth it? If you're gambling, that the Panopticon will always only benefit you. Finally today, I was 21 when I founded my first company, still in college. Today I'm 41, and as I've told you, I'm going to try my luck at the rodeo for the fourth time in my life with Ride Home Media. So, I like this sort of data. It's right up my alley. A study of the fastest-growing startups established from 2007 to 2014 finds that middle age is, in fact, the typical starting point for the founders of the most successful tech companies. Quote, the researchers looked at startups established between 2007 and 2014 and analyzed the top 0.1%, defined as those with the fastest growth 
in employment and sales. The average age of those companies' founders was 45. Previous studies had documented that owners of small businesses tended to be in their late 30s and 40s, but most small businesses stay fairly small. Restaurants, dry cleaners, retail stores, and the like. They are important, but they aren't central to innovation in the economy. The new study was able to zero in on high-flying startups by bringing together anonymized data collected by different agencies within the federal government. The government matched sales and employment data for startups collected by the Census Bureau with information on the founders extracted from Internal Revenue Service filings. After stripping identifying information, the government provided the researchers with a data set including 2.7 million business founders. The researchers calculated that the founders' average age was 42. And for the founders of the 0.1% fastest-growing firms, the average age was 45. Firms that were successful enough to have an initial public offering or be acquired by a larger company showed the same pattern. Their founders were generally middle-aged, end quote. The study says that while young people are often more apt to be risk-taking, thus more likely to create breakthrough or disruptive ideas, the study did mirror findings in other fields. Yes, Albert Einstein did his breakthrough work at age 26, but a study of Nobel laureates in physics found that the average age of the physicists when they did the work that would eventually win them their Nobel prizes was actually 37. Nobel breakthroughs in medicine arrive on average at age 40. The piece ends this way, quote, A lot of innovation in business benefits from experience. Youth has its triumphs, but some roads to success are lengthy. They require age and staying power, end quote. Long holiday weekend reading report. Yes, I've plunged headlong into yet another fantasy series. Not sure why I'm on this fantasy jag lately, because I literally have only read history for the last five years or so, and I've never actually been a huge fantasy guy before, beyond the obvious Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and Dune stuff. Although actually, I kind of do know what it was that tipped me over the edge. About a year ago, I devoured N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth series, and I was like, oh, yeah, fantasy can be amazing when it's done well. So... This weekend, I was this close to giving the Wheel of Time series a try, but the Wheel of Time series seems so intimidating, like you have to be willing to give up years of your life if you're going to do that series. Plus, it seems like the height of nerdiness, maybe beyond where I'm willing to go nerd-wise. But reading up on the Wheel of Time, I learned that after Robert Jordan died, the series was finished by Brandon Sanderson. And that led me to learn more about him... And so, yes, I am now currently halfway through the first book of the Stormlight Archive series. I will admit that there is way, way more magic than I've ever been comfortable with. I like just a sprinkle of magic in my fantasy, not a whole complicated system of magic. And here there are shard bearers, surge binders, magic stones and amulets, and mystic visions and the whole nine yards. But the world is so fascinating, the characters so good, the story, at least so far, so compelling that I can forgive all the magic mumbo-jumbo. I think when I get done with these books, I'm going to try to find a sci-fi series I can delve into to cleanse my palate. Yes, I've read The Expanse. Yes, I've read The Culture books. Yes, I've read The Three Body Problem books. But anyway, before then, if you're in the mood to delve into a modern, well-written fantasy series, I think you could do worse than giving the first book, The Way of Kings, a try by Brandon Sanderson. 
Link at the bottom of the show notes. Talk to you tomorrow.